Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Curtis Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Morning, sir. Italian sure will be happy to see you guys. Where? At the farm, sir. Tapping a morning to you, fellas. Enjoying the war? <laughs> Where are you from, son? Hello, and welcome back to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I just did an intro like we're coming back from an ad break or something. Hey, welcome back. Sponsored by Blue Chew. What the fuck is Blue Chew? It's, it, you know. Is that Joe, one of the new at, ones that is like flooding every podcast and YouTube video? Look it video? up on time. Yes. Yeah. We, uh. We just got a sponsor for well, there's your problem that was like, hey, we'd we'd love to monetize and like we fucking wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten a few. Uh like I'd done ads for like a friend years ago and people still let me forget about it. Um but uh, I've gotten a couple emails and they're always like the most low ball shit on earth. And it's like, look, man, if I'm gonna sell out, like it needs to be a little bit more than this. Um Oh yeah, absolutely, dude. Like, uh, I, uh, my girlfriend is asking what time I put dinner on, and I'm just like, it's on, okay? Like, it's it's ready. Just fucking eat it, please. What? Yeah, I made dinner today, because Corinne had a very stressful day at work, and, like, I work from home all the time, so I can make dinner. And she's like, oh, what time did you put it on? I'm like, it's fucking cooked. Don't worry about time. With, you're not going to get, like, scurvy or, like, whatever fucking salmonella. Just fucking eat the I food. that's what scurvy is. <laughs> Are, are you having a are you having a dinner on the high seas without vitamin C? I'm just dumping in orange juice, <laughs> being like that ah, on my watch, not on my watch. You said you wanted orange fucking chicken, didn't you? <laughs> just hurling oranges at people. Look, I'm just trying to help you not get scurvy. Why are you so unappreciative? Uh, I just cosplaying the the Royal Navy, where everything is full of of my teeth falling out, and my gums bleeding, and butt stuff, and butt, and butt stuff. stuff. Yeah, and like that comes stuff. with the gums bleeding. I mean, poop is fun, like when they pooped in the bed. Uh, yeah, poop is funny. Uh, so how we haven't recorded in like a week? How have you been? Delirious with rage, Joe. I mean, that's how you always are, though. Someone sent me a question from the Legion, which is like, just do a word association with Liam and see what words make him angry. And I like I message them be like, that's all of them. That's all of the that's words. Not all of them. There's some stuff I like. <laughs> uh, I like my girlfriend. I like cats. Really like cats. Uh, what else do I like? Oh, this is a short list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, what are you going to do? I... I was tweeting about Ann Arbor today, and you were like, oh, Liam likes to burn down cities, wants to threaten to burn down cities. And that's not true. That is true. You've done that multiple times. You've threatened to burn down so many cities during this podcast. I I don't know that that's true. Uh, <laughs> please, please uh, refer to my attorney. Uh, you don't have an attorney, because you probably threatened to burn do. them it's, down, too. It's both my parents, baby. <laughs> Uh, not that kind of lawyer. If you ever need an estate done or you're getting a, a really messy divorce, you can call one of my parents, but 
We just yeah. talked about ad reads, and now you're doing an ad read for your parents. They're retired. They can't, like, <laughs> I don't even think that's bad. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think that's unethical. Also, uh, yeah, please see BlueChew.com for more details. Please don't. Please don't. No, no. Why are you doing this? <laughs> no, but do this buy the- a shirt from our Teespring store. Please support us on Is Patreon. Is Blue Chew who emailed you? Are you sneaking into, well, there's your problem no. ad read on this show? No, you no, no, no. We've never gotten a Blue Chew. Uh, we got... What is Blue Chew? Email. It's like chewable Viagra, dude. I don't know what? if my dick works. How many How many different kinds of unread... Like, look, okay, this isn't, ad, this isn't an actual ad, and I'm sure this is all being cut out for being fucking stupid. But <laughs> if you're going to get unregulated dick pills, you have to do what your forefathers did, and that is go to the gas station <laughs> and get, like, I don't know, extend spelled incorrectly, uh, and it's, like, next to, for some reason, a gym, sh- gym sock that they're selling for huffing paint um, and totally <laughs> for tobacco pipes. Yeah, uh, and and roses. Don't forget the roses. You yeah. the single. What are the roses for? I never got that. Glass roses are crack pipes, bud. Oh shit! Okay. Yeah, crack. They're okay. For crack Man, that that makes so much more sense now. Okay. That's what I'm here for is to explain drug paraphernalia to you. Welcome to the Lions Led by Crack podcast. Uh, oh man, uh, it's been a while since I did crack. <laughs> did you do? Did you smoke crack out of a fucking rose pipe? I uh, no, I was always more sophisticated than that. Uh, well, you do have to. You gotta keep the pinky up. I'm, I'm a man of certain tastes. What is being sophisticated while you smoke crack? I uh, it's it's a it's a it's not a crack house. It's a crack mansion, like that uh, episode of Futurama. Right. Okay. Yeah, I do remember that. Now, speaking of nothing, we just talked about World War Two is a thing that happened. This episode is brought to you by World War Two. Oh. It's actually brought to you by whatever uh, horrific ripoff quote free to play World War Two game is popular at the moment. I mean, it's just World of Warships, isn't it? Or uh, is there a World of Tanks one? Uh, yeah, there is. Is is War Thunder free to play? I don't know. They're these all games. free to play. Yeah, they just they they want to get you much like World War Two. They really want to get you with the microtransactions. <laughs> Pay five dollars if you wish to live. <laughs> um. And, you know, for as long as the U.S. has been fighting overseas wars, which has been a long time, generally speaking, you never think of the U.S. as like being infiltrated by mobs of enemy spies. Um, so I thought it would be fun to talk about the time that kind of happened. Um, oh, is this going to be the one where the, the mob stepped in and we had to bribe the mob to do to do like surveillance of the New York ports or whatever? No, because that's been largely blown out of proportion by mobsters who want to sound cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I, I sort of had figured. No, that is a story for a later time for sure. And I'm not counting the Cold War because one that wasn't an actual war um, if you lived in the Soviet Union or the United States. So therefore, infiltrating with spies is a whole lot easier when like the embassy is still open. My parents used to live across from the Soviet embassy and never had a problem with security, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I, I bet they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they used to in D.C. And, da- and my parents were like, yeah, it was a rough neighborhood, but it really didn't matter because there's like 900 dudes all wearing earpieces just like looking around outside. You're like, who's going to rob us? No one. A lot of interesting people wearing old-timey like knee-length jackets and wide-brim hats. It's just uh, 900 Alice's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, you don't think of, um, 
like German and Japanese spies is like infiltrating the U.S. Um, yeah. Though obviously that was a a fear, which of course led to a large concentration camp system um, through the United States um, when we, you know, illegally arrested the Japanese population of America and some Germans and some Germans, Germans. significantly less. Um, yeah, I wonder why, Joe. Can you think of a reason that we may have? Oh, I can't possibly imagine. Um, mm. Even weirder, like I did stumble upon some like history when it comes to the the internment program, which is what is officially called. Of course, that wasn't an internment; that was a concentration camp system. Don't worry about that one. We will eventually cover that at length. Um, but like, even FDR and J. Edgar Hoover didn't think that like Japanese people were a risk, um, which like. And they responded to public pressure, which was to do racism. <laughs> sure. Which, like, if you're so fucked up that, uh, that like, J. Edgar Hoover is like, you've Edgar gone Hoover, too yeah, far. Is like, incredible. This will not stand, sir, I said, as I uh, did some incredibly unethical stuff to some black people. Oh, I mean, his entire history is just one unethical streak, which we'll talk about, of course, in this episode. And I'm not saying J. Edgar Hoover's fucking innocent when it comes to the the, the internment of the Japanese people. We must free my boy, that's, J. That's Edgar. That's an argument for a completely different... <laughs> free him from his fucking grave. Um, yeah, that's, that's a different thing for a different series. Um, now, there's a very obvious reason why it was very hard to spy on the United States. Namely, that America tends to fight wars. Not in America. And we tend to be far away from our mainland when we do them. Um, one of the reasons why most of that sweet James Bond shit that everybody loves to talk about happens in Europe. Because it's really easy to spy on people when you can just drive to your target. Oh, sure. You ever see the uh, camo America's Away color shirt? Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Obviously, this wasn't always a thing. In the early days, we were busy fighting, you know, indigenous tribes, the French, the British, the Canadians, indigenous tribes again ourselves indigenous tribes again we shot a lot of indigenous people yeah, is what i'm yeah, getting a at. whole bunch of yeah uh i hate to break it to you but uh general sherman's not exactly the uh unspeakable monster you- yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's been a tough one for me as someone who who you know what i i i read his memoirs and i was like oh what a cool guy when i was like 14 i was like oh he did some genocides yeah, it's one of those things that the U.S. really likes to do in its school system is, uh, is like, do that whole, like, breathing on the, the cuff of a shirt and, and, and wiping it across the historical record of, of, of historical heroes in this country. Um, so, you know, don't worry, the genocide buffs out. <laughs> See, it wipes right off. What's the problem? So, like, during those wars, not counting the indigenous wars because they didn't really do this. Also, I don't consider anything they did spying or espionage or... Or sabotage because it's their country. It's self-defense, <laughs> if nothing else. Yeah, you're allowed to do some shit if it's self-defense. If 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 Whitey comes into your house and and you kill a couple white people, that's that's fine. That's fair. And you know the reason why it was a lot easier to do back then is because like Confederate sympathizers could very easily slip over the border. Loyalist sympathizers during the Revolution, um, you know, French, British, Canadians, whatever. It's really easy to do when you're the colonies or you know the union for it's it, there's no border really 
Um, and that's why a whole bunch of Confederate sympathizers were able to blow out the back walls of Abraham Lincoln. And no foreign power has been able to do that same thing. I don't want to hear ever blow again. out the back walls of Abraham Lincoln as a sentence ever again, please. Oh, <laughs> you're welcome, sir. Uh, and of course, conspiracy theories aside, no foreign power has ever killed an American president ever since. Uh, what about yet. Cuba Joe? I don't, I don't really want to fucking lay that one into existence. Talk about Cuba Joe. What? Cuba. Kill John F. Kennedy. No, they did not. <laughs> I fucking... I, God damn it, I know. <laughs> this is not the show for that. You go to the fucking weird ones where they think aliens are abducting people in cornfields and shit. They, they do do that, though. Shut up! Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm podcasting under duress. <laughs> now, uh, this is not due, really, to the Secret Service, who spend most of their time, if you look at recent news... Blowing it. Kind of just getting drunk, doing coke, and touring the local supply of sex workers wherever they go. Uh, like, even recently, when... Um, I mean, it won't be recent when this episode comes out, but pretty much every time the president, whoever it is, travels, there's always, like, a small side note of, like, a Secret Service uh, agent was sent home due to an incident. And it's always like, they mm -hmm. got drunk and punched someone. As you do. As one does. Not me, though. I would never do that. Oh, I would never get hired by the Secret Service. <laughs> oh, dude, no. Fuck no, dude. Uh, though, that doesn't mean since throwing their hats into the ring of European power fuckery that America has not been the target of at least few large-scale plots of spying, sabotage, and other such things uh, and some have been more successful allegedly than others because some of these have never been proven well they tried to blow up the horse uh, horseshoe curve oh right? yeah we're getting to that now the first time that america truly caught this the foreign smoke not counting the confederacy since nobody recognized it as a foreign government uh, uh was what about the war of 1812 joe well that doesn't really count i mean that was an espionage it was an invasion yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> no, the Canadians were all spies. <laughs> um, was from the Empire of Germany during World War I. Um, and that was like the first modern time this occurred. Though not while the U.S. was actually in it. If you actually... This isn't proven. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Now, the U.S. was supplying the allies of World War I with tons of munitions and logistical support while officially being neutral since... Pretty much the start of the conflict, and as you can imagine, that was very unpopular for Germany. Though, and this is important, the U.S. offered to sell things to Germany as well. However, the German ships could not get to the U.S. due to a very effective blockade over the German Empire. <laughs> and of course, the U.S. knew this. Hey, just like dangling at like some keys when it's like munitions, but it's like munitions. Like, right. Hey, you want a grenade? You want a you want some gas mask? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, can't get oh, too slow. It's that fucking was an Allstate commercial where it's the old guy with a fucking dollar on the the fishing line. Oh, almost yeah, got so. some rifles. Um, yeah, I mean the blockade was incredibly effective over Germany. Like it, it ended up making uh, the German population largely starve. Like. Anytime there's something called the turnip winter, that's never a good sign. Oh, oh, no. You know what? Don't start no shit. There won't be no shit is how, is how we say things <laughs> in the <this> show. <laughs> Don't invade the fucking low countries and you'll have dinner. <laughs> Uh, I, I, yeah, okay, well, then we have to... Nope, we don't have to talk about the low countries. We can just move swiftly on. Yeah, we know that you hate them, as long as... <laughs> along with uh, every $500 other... $500 down the drain, Joe. How long ago was that? Just to watch a Dutchman kick a Spaniard in the heart. Uh, 
what year is this? 2022 is 12 years ago. Joe. Jesus Christ. That that is a holding a grudge uh, in a in a kind of desperation that I've never heard of before. I just I don't like them. <laughs> However, eventually Germany of course responded this with, you know, unrestricted submarine warfare, where even though the US was even though the the US was nominally neutral, they would target American ships and ships carrying civilians now the lusitania again is a topic for its own episode um which well, was it had munitions even though they swore up and down that it didn't oh yeah that shit was full of ammo <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> now, not saying that germany was in the right uh both people can in fact be wrong here because they did torpedo a ship full of civilians who did not know the ship was full of ammo <laughs> yeah don't do that that's I mean, that's the, 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 the mental gymnastics that requires that to be okay is like very German. Yeah. Is, is a lot like rationalizing, uh, blowing up hospitals, uh, that happens today. Right. Like, well, there was soldiers there. Like, yeah, they're wounded and they're in a hospital doing anything. Yeah. According to even the laws of the day, party foul. Um, but that's, that's, that's something for a different time. Now, most of this, most of this unrestricted submarine warfare ended with like the weirdest gentlemanly kind of shit you've ever heard of in your life, uh, um, which is U-boats surfacing, telling the crew they'd blow up their fucking ship and they needed to get off. They would then supply that ship with rowboats and then they would sink the ship. Some weird IRA shit. Yeah, I mean, they weren't trying to kill the civilians. They were attempting to sink the munitions. Though that was definitely not always the case. Um, that did not always happen. Now, even though the U.S. would not enter the war until 1917, by 1916, it was pretty clear that we were leaning that way, um, even though it was still very unpopular. Um, and Germany was coming to the conclusion that if they did not stop the flow of American supplies, they were almost certainly going to lose the war. Um, and there was this idea that Britain would collapse if they could sink X amount of tons of supplies. Sure. They're an island. Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, I guess I get it. It would have worked hypothetically, but a lot like World War II, when the U.S. sent, like, just fleets of Liberty ships out to die, they're like, we can s- send way more supplies than you have bullets. Uh, <laughs> which is certainly a tactic. It, yeah, it I works. Uh, <laughs> I love the... Uh... I don't know, it says brute force method of uh, yeah of resupply. Some countries will like we will have more soldiers than you can possibly handle. The U.S. is like our manufacturing base can can just churn out I shit. Can do left anything. And right. <laughs> I see you sink six badly put together boats. We're gonna build twelve more. Don't worry about those. I'm not worrying about those. <laughs> Hey, the only thing you have to worry about is if you're the guy on the boat that's, like, welded together, right? Like, <laughs> better not hit a big wave there, Chuck. Just praying my rivets survive. <laughs> um, and that's when, like, a small landfill turned into an island known as Black Tom Island in New York Harbor exploded. Um now, Black Tom was known for being a, a massive munitions dump for the U.S. during the war, and it went off like a fucking nuke. Um, it was home to millions of pounds of explosives, including hilariously, accidentally, 100,000 pounds of TNT. 
How do you accidentally round up a hundred thousand pounds? It shouldn't of have even been there. It was all loaded up on a barge and then parked just, off the coast. Uh, because, chilling. well, the guy in charge of the barge had cut a deal with the guy in charge of Black oh, Tom. You never want to. You never want to hear the guy in charge of the explosives had cut a deal. <laughs> yeah, um, because. If they put it at the regular harbor, it would have cost them $25 a night, which is more in 1916 or 1917. But like not that much when you're carrying 100,000 pounds of, of, of TNT. Uh, but he cut a deal that he could park it at Black Tom overnight for free. Whoops. Should have done that. Now, the explosion started with a small fire, which quickly hey, spread hey, out of control. Hey, when I go to Joe's discount explosive storage. <laughs> no questions asked. Um, the, the fire, the, the fire spread pretty quickly out of control and detonated. Uh, this ended up being one of the largest non-nuclear weapons explosions in human history. Um, and honestly, the only reason why it didn't leave a crater, um, kind of like Beirut, uh, is because it was in the middle of the harbor, uh, far away from the city itself. Um, somehow it only killed four people. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I have that. With my bad, rough math, it was kind of on par, roughly, with the Beirut explosion. And if you're curious what that looks like, there's video of it. Yay. Yeah, uh, which is an episode for your podcast at some point. Yay. Yeah, it, it, it was bad. Um, and the only, like, four people died, and the Statue of Liberty got, like, nailed with uh, a ton of shrapnel. Oh, shrapnel, yeah. They ended up having to close down the, the torch, I think, because it was, like, dangling by a thread. At this point, the U.S. had no actual national intelligence service. Right, this is World War One. Yeah, so it was just like a loose collection of like naval intelligence directorates and local cops, and everybody came to the conclusion pretty quickly. Like, Ugh, this is probably sabotage, huh? If if you think that this could be them covering for their own lack of safety, sure. But there was no security on this fucking place. There wasn't even a gate. There was a single night nice. watchman. <laughs> nice. This is a place that had, remember, millions of tons of bullets, uh, uh, artillery, hundreds of thousands, uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds of, of TNT. And, and just a guy. Just and a guy it's just like, it. I don't know, a townie, like sitting behind a desk. Shocks. Um, it's just shocks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there wasn't a gate. That someone could just walk right in. Uh, one theory. Love it. Love to see it. There's a lot of everything beyond uh, behind this is unconfirmed, um, though the the prevailing theory is under the command of the German foreign office agent named Franz von Rittenlin, who is a German spy who was known to be in the U.S. at the time, uh, worked out a plan to blow it up. Now, we know most of this from a Slovak immigrant named Michael Kristoff, who got picked up for doing something else. Um, even though he was in the uh, he was um, in the army during World War One after this, oh. and he admitted that Franz had bribed him and a bunch of guys that worked on the pier, so nobody looked at him too hard. And then Franz gave him something that turned out to be an incendiary device and told him to put it on the pier. Uh, though uh, Michael insists he did not know that. None of this was ever proven. Christoph was never charged, um, and you know, like the very low barrier for evidence when it comes to something like this during World War One. Yeah, it's just like, no, he told me. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And surprisingly, that wasn't enough. Like, there was a lot of civil liberties that were stripped away during World War One. that I'm surprised this guy didn't end up in an electric chair or the firing squad or something just for saying that he did it. 
But even the the naval director, it's like, ah, this guy's probably full of shit. <laughs> Though that did spark a lot of fear about those kind of things. As you can imagine, sure, a fucking nuke went off in New York effectively, right? right? Um, there was a similar explosion in Kingland, New Jersey, about a month after the U.S. officially entered the war in 1917. Again, it's her with a fire, but this time it was in a munitions plant in Lyndhurst. Um, oh, it's where, the, it's where the Hindenburg went down. And nobody was killed this time. And immediately afterwards, people began to worry that like, oh, this must be the same guys, right? Because they never captured them the first time. Oh, sure. Um, though, <laughs> uh, it was finally investigated uh, and, and fully investigated in 1931 um, that the factory workers really just weren't so good with safety. I mean, this was 1917 in, like, effectively a pop-up munitions plant to, right. to fuel total war. Like, one of the things that I found in the government report is that people were just leaving pails of fuel on the ground. You gotta stop doing that. <laughs> like, one Don't person... can do that. That's bad. One person noted that, like, they kept a pail of fuel on the ground next to a grinder that threw sparks Don't. <laughs> It's like 101, man. You know? It's like, imagine OSHA in 1970. Of course, they didn't exist, but it's just like some guy in a pinstripe suit that were like, actually, everything's on fire. And he just does the Charles- Charleston out the fucking locked fire exit or something. <laughs> 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 23 skidoo as everything explodes behind him. Uh, but yeah, that, that wasn't... Uh, weirdly enough... Uh, Germany paid, or the U.S. requested that Germany pay restitution for all of these, despite the fact the only one they claimed responsibility for, kind of, was Black Tom. Yeah, but did we get it? Uh, no, definitely not, because this all happened in the 30s when they were Nazis. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll do it. A similar incident occurred again in 1918 in Jersey as, as Sarajevo, which killed around 100 people. Yes, that I know. Um, now, again, this was just another case of, like, no fucking safety um, uh, regulations, no fire safety, uh, uh, I don't know, people just lathering themselves in, in fuel and handling things that are flammable. I gotta stop asking you to do that, you know? Now, you see, uh, to really get the, the, get the, get the right do, angle the Charleston. <laughs> uh, uh, on, on that artillery shell that you're grinding... I'm really, really going to need you to just slather yourself in plastic explosive, PD. Is that understood? Mm. <laughs> like, all right, boss. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm the United States Army Munitions Department, and this is Jackass. <laughs> Hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville, and this is uh, the Sarajeville Shuffle. Now, probably the, the, the best, and by best, I mean, would have been the most catastrophic if it worked, plot came from a guy named Anton Diggler. Or Dig Dilger. Uh, now he was born in the U.S. to a, a a guy who actually won the Medal of Honor in the Civil War, a uh, named Hubert Dilger. Uh, but he moved to Germany at a very very young age and stayed there for most of his life. Uh, he, he went to medical school there, became like a biologist, but uh, he was still technically an American citizen. He had an American passport, and he could easily travel back and forth. Um, and during the war, he went to the United States and linked up with some German agents. He rented a space in D.C. and built a bioweapons lab. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like literally within miles of the White House. <laughs> what? Um, yep. And uh, he, he prepared cultures of anthrax in something called glanders. 
which uh, is um, like uh, an equine disease that targets horses and cows, I believe. Remember, this is World War One. Uh, oh, like, they're still using horses. Yeah, yeah. Like poisoning people's horses is a legitimate, like, logistical target. And from there, he his plan was to bottle it and give it over to some stevedores, which the Germans had bribed. At which point, those stevedores were to stuff it in the noses of livestock as they're being loaded up onto ships. Um, however, that's where the story that we know it kind of ends. Um, obviously, we know it didn't work. Uh, there was never any large-scale anthrax breakout during World War I. And uh, America didn't have a sudden large-scale livestock die-off during World War I. Um, and since the, I don't know, a huge group of fucking untrained dock workers didn't keel over from handling anthrax incorrectly, which almost certainly would have happened... Uh, you you can't handle you can't hand a jar of anthrax to a bunch of fucking stevedores in the 1900s and expect this not to become an international incident. Fucking doing the flapper dance as they start <laughs> foaming from their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everybody's guess is that uh, Dilger fucked up and gave them in uh, like inactive cultures. Okay. Or uh or he handed the stevedores the shit who had no idea what it was and they just chucked it in the ocean. Uh, either or didn't guess. work. Um however, he ironically had to run uh because naval intelligence did eventually get onto him and uh he died of the Spanish flu in 1918. Um That'll do it. Kind of ironic for a guy who is effectively a bio bioterrorist. Um, Not an especially good one though apparently. And the f- the only foreign uh, bioterrorism plot in America uh, is famously the anthrax shit after nine eleven uh, yep. wasn't American, just some scientist. <laughs> we live in a real real weird place. And um, he was linked to a, a larger World War One German uh, bio warfare program that was like throughout most of the Allied world. More horse bombing or. It was mostly uh, like anthrax, glanders. Anthrax would have been smart. You couldn't have done anything about it, right? But they were targeting livestock. That's what you're saying. Yeah, their goal wasn't to kill a ton of people. Uh, amateurs. Lions of my donkeys does not endorse bioterrorism. <laughs> Weirdly, uh, the German intelligence plans and sabotage plans in the West um, largely tell their agents to not target civilians. <laughs> We're, it's it's strange coming from like the Nazis. Um, this was before the Nazis, but uh, now we jump to World War II, and the U.S. entered World War II after being attacked by the Japanese on you know the day they'll live in empathy, uh, Pearl infamy. Harbor. Yeah, Pearl Harbor. Uh, at which case, the U.S. declared war in Japan, with Germany responding by declaring war four days later, and then the uh, U.S. Re- uh, returning the favor. Now, some people largely and often weirdly uh, say this is evidence that the U.S. Never intended to declare war on Germany, which just isn't true. Um, like they had effectively been in an undeclared war at sea for years at this point. Yeah, yeah. They had already been shooting at one another. Um, and uh, uh, one day after uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, FDR uh, famously said, quote, remember uh, always that Germany, Italy, regardless of any formal declaration of war, consider themselves at war with the United States at this moment, just as much as they consider themselves at war with Britain or Russia. A poll held at the time said that 90% of Americans wanted to blow up some fucking Nazis as well as the Japanese. So, yeah, quite popular. 
Now, a more realistic way to look at this is that Japan had attacked the U.S. while Germany had not yet. Look at your priorities. The Pacific Fleet is still currently on fire. The American bomber, it's a real thing. Look it up. Also, because the U.S. thought that Germany might not declare war on them, as they didn't actually have to. Uh, People often say that Germany had no choice but to declare war on the United States due to a treaty with with Japan. Oh, boy. Their treaty was a self-defense treaty, as in if America attacked Japan, Germany would join. However, it was more of a handshake agreement uh, about a few days before Pearl Harbor that Germany would join in in the war. Um, But uh, we know that it did happen, so whoops. Anyway, I don't know why I went on that tangent. Shortly after declaring war on the U.S., Hitler ordered a sabotage mission using undercover agents from the German intelligence agency, the Abwehr. Now, um, this idea came from a guy named Walter Kapp. He was a a Nazi party member and uh, then government official who spent the 1920s working a factory gig in, oh man, I'm going to fuck this name up, Kaneki in Illinois? Um, Yeah, Kaneki. Before he moved to New York, joined the German-American Bund. You know, the Nazi party in America, and then eventually made his way back to Germany. Or is it Kankakee? I forget. Now, uh, Cap codenamed this mission Operation Pistorius after Franz uh, Daniel Pistorius, who is the uh, leader of the first group of Germans to settle in colonial America in Pennsylvania. Not the, uh, not the Olympic runner with no legs who shot his girlfriend. Different guy. Um, that's Oscar. Yeah, that's. Don't make the same mistake I did. <laughs> Now, he wanted men who spoke English, were familiar with the United States, and had some kind of skilled trade that would give them cover uh, while they're in the U.S. Now, in case you're wondering why Germany would have such a large number of people with connections to the U.S. at that time, um, the agency had actually been stocking up on possible candidates for quite some time prior to the entry of World War II, and then even after that, prior to well, America's that's entry. that Germany was, quote, forced to declare war. Mm. Mm. Now, mm. Germany openly cultivated a close relationship with the German diaspora. They wanted Germans who lived abroad, known as the Volksdeutsch, to return home. There was even like a huge ministry programs for this. They were given special money. Yeah, you know who else helped facilitate that? J.P. Morgan Chase. Look it up. Not lying. Look it up. <laughs> now, famously, one of these guys is shown in Band of Brothers, uh, which is actually a true story per the telling of Donald Malarkey, uh, one of the, uh, the guys in the, in the show. Uh, if if you've never seen it, he runs into a guy that like he's taunting him. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. Oh, Malark is like, from? so where yeah. are you from? And the guy's like, Eugene, Oregon. Which I have to say, finding out that a Nazi soldier is from you is from uh, Eugene, Oregon, is the most on brand thing on earth. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Nazis were normally really good at keeping records and things, like famously oh. so, <laughs> bureaucratically. Yeah, they love to do it. Um, but we actually don't know how successful this return program was, um, especially when it comes to the military or the intelligence. Now, this could easily be, dis- uh, be explained away if like, the records were destroyed, um, but there also wasn't any random Americans trying to come back home after the war. Uh, of course, that could also be said because then they'd have to explain why the fuck they were in Germany. <laughs> yeah. And unless they were a scientist, they're not getting away with that shit, right? Operation Paperclip. Also look that up. Oh, I think people are mostly aware of that one. Yeah. Most people probably aren't aware of the significantly larger Soviet program. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I've had to defend uh, Operation Paperclip as well. The Soviets were doing it, too. And that does not feel good. I'll oh, tell you that. Oh, that's not a defense. That's just uh, 
No, I'm just not defending a, it. No. Right. I just, <laughs> but yeah. Now, a footnote in George Nafsinger's The German Order of Battle, which is a exhaustive list of, of units in the, in the Wehrmacht and SS, uh, as well as the ethnicities of their people, lists only five American citizens of German descent that enlisted within the army or the SS throughout the entirety of World War II. Now, there's, again, a lot of these records could have been lost. Um, there are also a lot of non, well, not a lot, but some non-German Americans who ended up in, in Germany during World War II, which there's a, quite, quite a few famous ones we'll talk about at some point in the future. Um, but this return thing wasn't very successful coming from America. Now, a reason for that is the same reason why it wasn't that successful in World War I. There was a huge German-American population. And while the German-American Bund was successful in some ways and was quite popular for, for a time, German-Americans assimilated pretty seamlessly and considered themselves American before they were German. So, and that was probably forced on them by World War I. Like, it, like, yes. there, like during World War I, there was a whole lot of effort going around being like, look how American I am. So, you know, when a couple decades passed... They've already gone through this once. <laughs> as far as I know, that's also where we get the uh, phrase on the fritz. Yeah. Um, we called uh, sauerkraut liberty cabbage for a while. Yeah. Thankfully, America never did that again. No. Now, I would like to go out for some freedom fries after this. Yeah. So. Yeah. Or some uh, freedom toast. God, I forgot about freedom toast. Yeah. I mean, it, it's quite, kind of hilarious that we watched America do this, uh, you know, when we were kids and now Russia is doing it at a lar- even a larger scale. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was some obviously very true believers in Nazism in America. No fucking doubt. Uh, but, you know, the boond was crushed pretty effectively uh, as soon as, you know, war, war were declared. Yeah. And most people fell in line, or there were about, I think, a couple thousand Germans who ended up in camps in, in the U.S. But yeah, there wasn't a huge transfer of, of Americans to Germany. But that didn't mean that the Nazis didn't have some people who were connected to the U.S. laying around. Ernst Berger and Herbert Haupt were dual American citizens, along with a lot of Germans who had previously worked in America and could therefore speak English, which they had to lower their bar a bit when they realized who they had laying around. George Dosh, Edward Curling, Richard Querian, uh, Heinrich Hecht, and Hermann Neubauer, as well as, well as Werner Thiel. Um, they all had either in-depth or loose connections to America. Most of them had kind of like become illegal immigrants, and that was an incredibly easy thing to do in the 20s. Like. Uh, most of them just like got fucking ship tickets and walked into America. Like, oh, sure. <laughs> um, they were all recruited, promised sweet promotions, bonuses, and cushy jobs in the future when Germany, of course, inevitably won the war. For further evidence that Germany's return program wasn't so successful, points that these guys were not the trade professionals that Cap was looking for. In fact, most of them were failures at life. At this dudes. Point. Now, love to fight a war with just some dudes. Dosh was probably the most important. He was one of the team leaders of the two teams, but he becomes the most important later on. Um, he floated through life, mostly working dead end jobs through New York City and like Philly before he enlisted in the army on two separate occasions, got kicked out on two separate occasions, had got married twice under two, two different names in order to hide his little crime of bigamy. And then he was arrested twice for running brothels in Philly. Uh, his, uh, no, sorry, it's Pittsburgh. <laughs> 
Um, he waited some tables uh, before he ditched both of his wives and families and made a run back to Germany in 1941. Now, <laughs> so yeah, this, this, is, this is the rigid professional that Cap is looking for. Now, when you, re- when you like made your return, uh, your, your repatriation into, into Nazi Germany, you were questioned by the Gestapo. Um, and you had to fill out a ton of paperwork. Like, why the fuck are you coming back to Germany in 1941, right? Nazi bureaucracy required that he filled out forms explaining for his reasons of return. And Dash, worried that the Nazis might pick up on his criminal history, said that he wrote down, quote, I intend to partake in political life, which, of course, in Nazi Germany means I intend to be a Nazi. Um, right. Now, Dash, there's no evidence this guy was a Nazi at all, other than the fact like he wasn't even a party member. Um, he's just a guy, basically. He's literally just a guy. He's looking for an easier life. <laughs> than running brothels and doing God knows what else. Um, though most people would say he wasn't a Nazi at all, he was telling them what he wanted to hear so he could get through customs, which sure. I'm sure everybody has been there at least once. <laughs> yeah, we've all lied to customs. Uh, but because he was eventually sent to meet Cap and, uh, uh, Cap and, and Dash, uh, he he told them that he wanted since he was in the U.S. Army, he thought he could be best at use for for Germany by being in the German Army. Now he had no he was like a private in the army. He had no skills or whatever. But Cap pointed out that like actually you can be much more useful since he spoke very fluent English. Now Hopt was a uh, uh, was a German World War One veteran who immigrated to Chicago, uh, worked in like an eyeglasses factory got married and had some kids before he abandoned them to go on a globe-trotting vacation. Father of the year award right here, baby. It landed him directly in the middle of World War II. Uh, now, he was in Europe when like it, it truly got spicy, uh, and he didn't have an American passport, which was kind of negotiable at the time, but he was a German citizen, so he went to like the local German consulate, got a German passport, and figured that he would hide out in his grandma's house in Germany until this whole war thing blew over. Spoiler alert, that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Berger and Quirion were seemingly the only true believers in Nazism at at least some point. Now, Berger was born in Germany and was a Nazi party member at the age of 17. He moved to the U.S. and then uh, moved back and forth, uh, eventually making his way back to Germany, where he was an aide to Ernst Fromm. (laughs) Oh. You know, before he got Knight, Knight of the Long Knives. Yeah, got whacked. Sure. Yeah. And Berger found himself in a concentration camp for over a year for being critical of the Gestapo. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, after that, he was released, drafted into the German army, uh, and uh, became a guard at a POW camp, not a concentration camp, a POW camp. Uh, he was recruited into this anyway. Uh, he seems like the last fucking person. Yeah, they're really just taking... <laughs> Just just band of schlubbers, if you will. It's like, okay, we have this long list of... Reverse Justice League. prereqs, And then like a month goes by, okay, we'll settle for anybody who speaks English. You guys heard of Project 50,000? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Quirion had been born in Germany before moving to the US, and he worked for GE. He joined the Bund um, and was an open Nazi party supporter and uh, returned to Germany when that suddenly and quickly became illegal. And he worked in the VW plants, uh, where intelligence ended up finding him and another member of the team, Hank, uh, who barely spoke English at all. So at, by the time they were they recruited him, like fuck it, you know how to say hello and count to ten. 
That's all we need, baby. Now, Curling was the most believer out of all of these guys. He was one of the first 80,000 people to join the Nazi party. Um, he was a teenager, but uh, he immigrated to America while still a Nazi party member. Picked up a job smoking ham for a few years. Now tell me, does this man uh, die a horrible, painful death, please? Oh, we'll get there. Um, now, uh, they after smoking some hams uh, for a little bit, he moved back to Germany, picked up where he left off in the Nazi party, and worked for the Ministry of Public Enlightenment and Propaganda, you know, Joseph Goebbels' ministry, where he ran a movie theater. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping this ends in some sort of inglorious bastards type situation. Ooh, that would be nice. Now, they pushed these guys to a three-week long training course at a farm outside of Berlin where they had gym classes and because they Why? needed to be in shape. Uh, like, okay. They had like yeah, judo right. practice and shit. <laughs> What? <laughs> Just absolute fucking nerds as Nazis always are. Nazis are the fucking worst, dude. Um, they were su- every day they were supplied with fresh fruit, vegetables, and weirdly, flowers. Never know. I don't know why that's important. I just find it weird. Yeah, that's there's a war going on, man. <laughs> did uh did the Nazis get their tulips today? Um now they were also required because they, they had to pass as Americans, right? So in order to do that, they had to lear- learn and memorize the Star Spangled Banner and Oh, Susanna. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, in Why the not, cl- I guess? In the classroom, they were forbid to take any notes, and they had to put everything to memory, which seems like a bad idea. I understand they're secret agents and shit, but this is a three-week-long school, man. You're not turning anybody into James Bond in three weeks. No, that attitude. <laughs> Uh, Cap also made the men sign contracts, which weirdly doesn't seem like something you need to do. Now, the contract was uh, require them to remain silent about their mission, which is implied when you're a fucking spy, right? You're a spy. (laughs) Now, of course, it's not an episode of Archer, man. (laughs) Yeah. uh, One of the punishments like, oh, if you tell anybody about this, we'll kill you again. Implied you work for the Nazis. Right. Um. Now, they, it did say if, if they were killed uh, while doing their mission, their wives would get huge lump sums from the German government. Um, in reality, that probably wouldn't have happened since they abandoned many of their wives in America. But cool. If, and by wives, we mean the state. Yeah. Now, the teams were shoved into a train towards France uh, because that's where the, the U-boat bases were and uh, sent on their way. The plan was to attack uh, hydroelectric plants in Niagara Falls, a uh, Cereolite plant plant in Philly, uh, cryolite. Uh, I don't know fucking materials. These are just plastics, probably. Yeah. Uh, canal locks on the Ohio River, as well as an aluminum company of America factory in New York, Illinois, and Tennessee. Uh, Illinois and Tennessee. Did you say Illinois? Yeah, I did. Yeah, New York, Illinois, and Tennessee. Fuck. Uh, and now. Curling's team of Neubauer, Hopped, and Teal uh, were to uh, invent PayPal, uh, which is where Peter Teal came from. No, um, oh, yeah, no, that, that fucking tracks. That does I'll tell track, you what, yeah. I know that's a joke, but that's how fucking tracks. <laughs> uh, no, they were, de- they were designated to attack a water system uh, in New York City, a railway station in Newark, Horseshoe Bend near Altoona, PA, and uh, yeah, the Canal Locks. They didn't locks. get there, but don't worry, Norfolk Southern did. They put a fucking train on the ground. <laughs> Norfolk Southern accomplished what the Nazis could not and put a train on the ground at Horseshoe Curve. Coincidence? I think not. It literally isn't. Norfolk Southern is the worst goddamn railroad <laughs> in the world. <laughs> uh, they were also going to target the Canal Locks in St. Louis and Cincinnati. 
Now, uh, they were given counterfeit birth certificates, social security cards, draft deferment cards, nearly $175,000 in cash, and fake driver's license. Are we, are we talking 1940s whenever cash? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's a shit ton. Yeah, it's like several million dollars, I think. Yeah. Um, and now the reason why they were given that much money was obviously for bribes and stuff, but this mission was to last two fucking years. Um, at which point Germany assumed that they had won the war, right? Uh, so these guys are going to be in there for a long haul. Why they would need several million dollars over two years, uh, maybe the Nazis aren't so good at budgeting. Yeah, Nazis being bad at stuff? Like winning wars? Yeah. Or, yeah. or sending a sabotage mission to America? Hey, dumbasses. Now, there was uh, going to be two teams of saboteurs. One was going to land in New York, and the other was going to land in Florida. Uh, but at first, they would be, have to be loaded in U-boats and brought to the coast. But before they got there, they got a little bit of leave to go go have a night on the town in occupied France. Oh, uh, boy. And immediately released from their handlers, Dasha almost ruined the fucking plan. Oh, they did the archer thing. <laughs> he left a folder with his entire plan Christ. on the train. <laughs> yeah, on the train. Uh, now... Weirdly, the Nazis didn't do that thing where they only tell each team leader their specific mission. His plan, like each team leader knew the entire mission. So Dosh knew uh, the Florida's mission. That's a good OPSEC. Yeah. yeah and he left yeah. all of that on a train. Good job, idiots. Um, thankfully, the Nazis also didn't trust these guys. Uh, so they actually had an Adware agent following them. Don't say thank you. They'll say thankfully. Uh, yeah. Well, it's not like they end up doing anything. <laughs> uh, and the Abware agent, like, picked up the file, like, hey, idiot, you dropped this, and then, like, disappeared into the distance. Then, if that wasn't dumb enough, they got shit-faced, blind drunk at a bar in Paris, and Dosh began screaming at someone who cut him off that he can drink as much as he wants, he's a German spy, and he's going to America. I can't believe this plan didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> Shocked by the Keystone Cops of Intelligence. Ironically enough, like one of the uh, articles I use as a source from this from the Atlantic is called like the Keystone Spies. So yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Somehow this was not enough for Cap or whoever else was keeping tabs on these guys. Like, look, Adolf, maybe we shouldn't fucking send these guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, nine, do the spy work. I'm a very smart man. <laughs> these Pay guys, no they the seem very trustworthy. Get, get got in a minute here. Um, yeah, uh, anyway, they, they, they did it anyway. On May 25th, they went to Brest, France, uh, where Kettering's team, or Cur- sorry, Curling's team, got into U-boat 584 and route to Point of uh, Vedra Beach, Florida, and Dasha's team got into U-202 and route to Long Island. Uh, go, do not go Isles, actually. I fucking hate the Isles. <laughs> Dasha's gonna land in Long Island. Step onto the beach, step onto like, I don't know, a razor blade or something, and then become a fucking Isles fan and just immediately assimilate. Sounds about right, actually. Uh, Now, their plan was to obviously land these two separate places and then meet in Ohio by July, because of course the Nazis would go to fucking Ohio. God damn it. It's fine. Fine. It's fine. You all right there, bud? I'm good. But we will seize Toledo. Some brilliant, beautiful mind came up with an extra layer to this plan. Since they would be landing on random beaches, remember, launched from a U-boat on rowboats, they didn't want people to be like, oh, look, some spies. So they had everybody dress in German army uniform 
Oh, that seems smart. So yeah. if they were seen upon landing, they'd be like, oh, I was shipwrecked and I'm just a POW and get thrown into POW camp rather than being oh, spies okay. and getting shot. And be brutally executed, right. Um, now, I have no idea how they plan on answering a simple question such as, okay, but how did a Wehrmacht soldier end up in fucking Florida? Like, where did you get shipwrecked from, my dude? <laughs> Look, Nazis, not great long-term planners. Now, of course, they brought civilian clothes. They're going to, like, hide everything and then change. But, yeah, they were landing like, oh, look, some German soldiers. Uh, Whoa. And normally when you see Nazis in Long Island, it's just the local cops. But these guys are, like, wearing yeah. Wehrmacht <laughs> uniforms. Now, Dasha's team landed in Long Island on the night of June 13th. And because this mission has to be as dumb as humanly possible... They floated across the beach directly in front of a Coast Guardsman named John Cullen. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> like, now, Cullen caught them just past the time where they changed out of their uniforms. However, there's like a gang of dudes just hanging out on a beach in the middle of a fucking war um, and like being suspicious and shit. And Cullen is like, hey, excuse me. What the fuck? Uh, what are you doing? Or he's from Long Island, so he's probably like, Hey, you, what are you doing, you mook? I don't, know, I don't do Long Island very well. I think they might just be... Bo- I think my Boston and Long Island accents are exactly the same. It's okay. Um, but now Dash, who spoke the best, mostly unaccented German, like, it, it, it wouldn't have been out of place in New York, for sure. Um, was like, Oh, we're just uh, fishermen. You see, uh, we, we, we crashed here in this tiny rowboat. Um, and we're just going to camp out here until the morning and we're going to row on out, uh, back to like Southampton or whatever. Uh, and Colin, despite being, um, like a pretty new recruit into the Coast Guard, it's like, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, <laughs> um, but he decides to play along cause he's unarmed. Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. So he's like, okay, well, why don't we come back to the Coast Guard station? It doesn't make any sense for you to sleep out here on the beach. You can stay at the Coast Guard station until morning, which, of course, is like, I'm going to get these guys in the Coast Guard station where we have fucking guns and we're going to arrest them. <laughs> um, Dosh, also not quite that stupid, is like, that sounds like a trap. So they're kind of dancing around one another until one of the guys uh, came up and was just yelled something in German at Dosh. Dude. Yeah. Uh like, I think he had, like, what are we do? Or, like, what should we do? Uh, which Colin, of course, he heard. Speak English, moron. Yeah, and Dosh in English, like, turns out, like, shut up, you fucking idiot. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, now, again, oh, Colin no, was like, blown. Uh, ee, oh, uh, no. <laughs> sound like Nazis. <laughs> ee, that sounds a bit like the, the local cops. Um, but, uh. <laughs> Now, Dosh at this point is like, hey, do you, do you got parents? And Colin is like, yeah. Like, well, it'd be a shame if we had to fucking kill you. Here's $100. Shut up. And Colin is like, well, no, you guys are Nazis. And then realizing that his life was in immediate danger, he's like, you know what? I'll take the money. I'll take the money. I didn't see anything. And Dosh, for some reason, decides this is good enough. And he lets him leave. Oh, that's not very bright. No, it's not. Now... Colin immediately ran back to his Coast Guard station. He's like, yo, there's a grip of fucking Nazis at the beach. Let's go shoot them. <laughs> and uh, he turns the money over, too. Like, he, he's an honest boy, uh, which I would not have done. I would be like, no, they did not bribe me. 
No, shut up. <laughs> uh, no, because uh, hundred dollars is a lot of fucking money in the forties, man. Uh, now, Colin and the and the uh, uh, the Coast Guard ran up to where the spot was. The Germans were already gone, uh, but they did unearth a massive cache of weapons and explosives. They were buried in the sand, which was very very easy to find because. Someone had left a trail of German branded cigarettes and schnapps bottles, as well as pieces of their Wehrmacht uniform, simply laying around. Jesus Christ. Also, Colin was like, hey, look out in the ocean. Do you think that's a U-boat? Because a U-boat had gotten fucking stuck on a sandbar and it was just sitting there. I... <laughs> and like... <laughs> Oh my god! It's it, revving its engine, which is a diesel engine, right? Um, while it's uh, uh, above the water, revving its engine, trying to get off the sandbar, and they can clearly hear it. But they oh, have geez. like no coastal defenses to shoot at it or anything. And mm-hmm. like Colin said, that every time it revved its engine, the fucking like ground shook. Some they call the FBI and be like, "Hey, uh, we got a lot of fucking Nazis out here." Now by that point. The team's already in New York City. By the night, by uh, June 16th, Curling's team landed in Florida without incident, and that is the last time I will say that any of this happened without incident. Uh, as soon as Dash's team, Dash's team got to uh, New York City, they bought new clothes because uh, there's like this this point where they're super paranoid after this, right? Because like you know they almost just got well, they did get caught, but they almost got arrested. So they're like low crawling through swamps and shit in their civilian clothes. Um, I believe it's uh, Queerling that uh, every time that they see like lights from a car, he screams, oh, God, we're surrounded. Okay, he doesn't seem like a very calm leader. None of them are. <laughs> None of them are good at this. Uh, so, yeah, they get to New York. They buy new clothes. They're flush with literally millions of dollars of cash. They, they get a really good hotel room. They start drinking, doing drugs, and sampling the local sex worker selection. Um, and, you know, just partying their Nazi fucking brains out. We'll see you with millions of dollars with Nazi money, yeah. <laughs> Literally any group of idiots would... One of these guys is in his, like, he's, like, 21. So, like, of course they're gonna do this. Uh, yeah, if you were 20... If I was 21 again, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be a Nazi, but I, if you gave me, like, millions of dollars, I'm like, alright, let's go hang out in another country, I would just treat it as a semester abroad. Yeah, and that's what they did for, like, two days. At this point... Dash starts getting cold feet about the entire sabotage plot. Uh, he was never a Nazi. Like he was very on the. He's almost like just went along with it and found himself drafted into an intelligence plot. Right. He was just lying to custom. He's a fucking which idiot. We, but like he, his heart was done. never in it. Um, it seems like as soon as he like repatriated to Germany, he realized he was in over his head. But his entire life is him kind of failing. So that makes sense. Now, at this point, the team had gotten to know one another pretty well, and he knew Berger, of all people, would, uh, would probably listen to him. Ber- Remember, he's the guy who spent over a, uh, over a year in a concentration camp right? Uh, and probably would be the most agreeable to wanting to get out of this shit. Uh, now, upon hearing uh, Dash tell Berger, like Berger, like hearing Dash be like, hey, we should, we should get the fuck out of here. Uh, Berger broke down to tears because it turns out all that shit that left on the beach, the cigarettes, the schnapps bottles, the uniform, he had done that on purpose, hoping to get the team caught. Oh. And he, he like, didn't have the balls to, like, just turn himself into Cullen. Right. Um, now, Dash knew if they were caught, as they were, all of them were going to be executed. Like, saboteurs are not protected under any law of war. You get treated like an uh, unlawful combatant, which is 
terminology we'll use later. We'll talk about later on. Uh, but he figured, hey, dude, if we flip and we turn all these guys in, the government will welcome us as age, like as as intelligence assets with open arms, and we'll get to stay in America, which is what they both wanted to do. <laughs> sure. Remember, one of them has two wives there. It's not the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So he picked up a phone, called the FBI, and was like, "Hey, I uh, like I landed in New Funny York story. Uh, from a U-boat uh, a couple days ago." Which remember, the FBI had already been told about this uh, that this happened, and it, this story was not made public. It was immediately bl- there's immediate media blackout over the whole thing. Oh, sure, that makes sense. Um, and uh, now Dash was picked to to do this because he knew everything. He was one of the team leaders. Um, so he uh, he called the FBI, told him everything, and the FBI pretty much laughed at him, said fuck off, and hung up the phone. Now the reason for this is it turns out that when you're in the middle of a war and there's you know subterfuge happening, the FBI because the CIA doesn't exist yet, right? It's uh, it, like the FBI is the main arm of the shit. It's getting a lot of bullshit calls at the time. Um, a lot their lines were flooded with people, just either complete bullshit or crazy people reporting on their neighbor who looked slightly foreign. Um, not to mention at this point, thousands of Japanese people have been put in concentration camps. Uh, so the FBI was exerting a lot of resources spying on the Japanese population rather than the German one. So like they didn't really take it too seriously. Um, now since this didn't work, Dash snuck away from the team, told them uh, that he was going to go do something, got on a train, went to DC and once there, he called them again, saying, quote, I'm the man who called your New York office. I'm in room 351 at the Mayflower Hotel. I want to speak to uh, J. Edgar Hoover. He was not put through. Oh. oh, okay. Then he walked into the D.C. headquarters of the FBI, told the people like, hey, I called your New York office. I've called you. I'm the guy. I'm a German spy who landed via fucking Slim. U-boat I in New York. I keep but you never answer. Yeah. <laughs> Dear Hoover, I wrote you, but you still ain't calling. Um, and still, the guys at the off at, at the desk were like, "This guy's probably high or something." So, for proof, he upended his suitcase and emptied eighty thousand dollars in cash onto the desk, which is about one point five million dollars in today bucks. And was like, "Do you fucking believe me now?" And this finally got the FBI's attention, meaning he might be the only person who bribed his way into being arrested. Uh, congratulations on that, sir. Now, the FBI did not arrest him yet. Uh, they went into his hotel, and for the next five days, they questioned him nonstop with the stenographer present, who typed out everything. Dash gave them everything they wanted, including all of the names of everybody in the plan, because they were all using their real names while they were in Germany. Oh, that's in genius spycraft. Now, they did have, like, cover names in the U.S., but it's not like they came in through a normal port of entry. Like they smuggled aboard U boat, so it's not like there'd be any record of these people. My name is Fritz American. <laughs> he gave them addresses of what they planned on hitting, addresses of where everybody was staying, because he also knew exactly what route the Florida team was to be taking and what uh, hotel they'd be staying in along the way. Um, which, in retrospect, seems like a very bad idea for both teams to know this. And over the next, not not not, not geniuses. Yeah, with here. Over the next 14 days, all eight saboteurs were in jail from a string of arrests from New York to Chicago. Now, before the arrest, not a single target was hit, nor did it, nobody even made an attempt. There was not an attempt to do any single bit of their plan. 
all of the men pleaded not guilty, claiming they had only taken the mission to get back to their families into the U.S. or simply get out of Germany. So, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to buy that from a lot of them. Not the guy who worked for Goebbels. (laughs) No. Not that I have sympathy, mind you. But, you know, I've heard of dumber plans to, to, to get out of places. Actually, I don't know if I have. I stand corrected. As soon as the word of the arrest got out, panic skyrocketed as people suddenly thought they were roving gangs of German spies ready to bring America to its knees using thousands of tons of explosives. Um, Now, really, this team probably could have fucked up a few things if they tried. Remember, they were home free. Um, As soon as they got off the beach, the FBI had no leads. Um, They just didn't. In order to keep the public calm, Hoover told everybody a completely made-up story about how the cops and the agents of the FBI had sniffed these guys out through grunt and good police work and therefore saved everybody. Uh-huh. Rather than effectively, <laughs> the team had turned itself in. Now, there's even a newsreel of Hoover, like, dead eyes staring into the camera, telling soldiers <laughs> overseas that the FBI was doing their part to keep their families safe at home. Okay. Now, for his part, Dash was told not to tell anybody anything when the news broke not to tell his jailers not to tell journalists that were sure to show up uh that he had helped with the plot not to men or or anything to do that he had uh turned himself in and done their work for them (laughs) he was told to quote take the punishment and after a few months when the heat died down the president would pardon him and he'd be allowed to go on and live his life like nothing had ever happened or most likely become an intelligence asset for the fbi None of this happened. And uh, Dash found this out because he was sitting in his jail cell at the D.C. jail. And he looked over and saw a jail guard reading a newspaper with his face plastered on the front page with the headline, CAPTURED NAZI SPY in all caps. Whoops. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, I'm starting to really regret turning everybody in. All hopes that Dash would, uh, were, uh, uh, were, was going to be like let loose or anything like that were, were, were thrown out the window when it became clear that the government did not want to say shit about them turning themselves in. There's a single line in a newspaper, I believe in the New York Times, that said Dash had, quote, cooperated with U.S. officials in procuring evidence against the others, and that is it. So it makes it sound like he was captured. He's like, oh, I'll tell you everything, rather than turning himself in and be like, I'm here. Here's 80,000 U.S. dollars. <laughs> Part of the reason for this is that everybody knew that the Nazis read American newspapers. This is actually one of the things they did in the spy camp. It was like keeping up to date on American news and politics. And if it got out that Dosh had, you know, given them everything, that wouldn't make the U.S. look good. So they wanted it to look like the FBI knew all about these guys before they even hit the beach. That way, uh, the planet looked like such a failure of intelligence for the abware and counterintelligence for the FBI that Hitler wouldn't even bother sending another team. And largely that worked. I mean, there's no evidence that Hitler was like, oh, damn, the FBI is simply too good. But like this never happened again. However, that did lead to everybody in the government wanting to kill these guys, including FDR. Um, he even put out a uh, executive order saying as much. <laughs> Um, he it was like effectively his executive order pretty much boiled down to anybody caught is going to be knelt over a ditch. Pretty much uh, conducting espionage or sabotage for foreign powers will not be afforded the rights of a prisoner of war, which was actually already established law at that point. And he was, from my understanding, copying a very similar 
executive order that Lincoln had put out during the Civil War. Now, this was a bit much even for J. Edgar Hoover, uh, who, again, another thing I thought I'd say, and the Attorney General uh, Francis Biddle, who both requested leniency for Dosh, because, uh, and Berger for that matter, uh, pretty much telling FDR, like, look, I know we're keeping this on the down low, but he did give us everything. Spies are useful, too. Yeah, and they probably know at least one or two other things about the German intelligence layout. And FDR was setting out to crush these guys, going so far as telling his attorney general, quote, I won't have them have them handed over to any United States marshal armed with a writ of habeas corpus. Oh, okay. yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Just like Lincoln. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A military tribunal, which is the first held since Abe Lincoln got clapped, uh, or as some would say, having his back walls blown out. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Charge them with violating the law of war, which is the sabotage part. Violating Article 81 of the Articles of War defining the offenses corresponding with or giving intelligence to the enemy, because some of them were American citizens. Violating Article 82 of the Articles of War defining the offense of spying and a conspiracy to commit offenses alleged in the first three charges, which that's a given, but whatever. Uh, now, they were actually given civilian attorneys, one of whom would eventually become Secretary of the Army uh, at some point. And these guys effectively spent the entire case getting it, trying to get it transferred to civilian court because they were pretty understanding that they're like, ooh, military tribunal, this only ends in one way. <laughs> I don't want to be knelt over a ditch. Uh, and this, uh, they, they were demanding a writ of habeas corpus. And this ended up going to the Supreme Court uh, in ex parte queerin decision, which has some very, very grim historical precedent uh, as we are sitting here in 2020. This is not the 5-4 podcast where we talk about the Supreme Court, but eventually, now we all are like, LOL, Nazis are going to fry in the, the electric chair, but the ex parte mm-hmm. decision was cited for effectively making Gitmo a thing. Right. Yeah. That I know. Yeah. The, yeah. So this has some... Uh, a, a large scale of skeleton, or like a large, like, you know, right. some things have uh, skeletons in their closet. This is a skeleton road, right? <laughs> like sure. going all the way until the 2000s and largely to today, Gitmo is still open because of this and also right. because of political weakness, but whatever. The U.S. was a signatory to the 1929 Geneva Convention before the uh, they revised it in the late 40s, but it was already kind of decided that saboteurs and spies were not afforded the status of a POW. But this large-scale paintbrush of unlawful combatants comes from ex parte. And that's what the Bush administration used, too. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, yeah, uh, FDR accidentally gave us Gitmo. Cool. Now, I'm not saying without that decision, Gitmo wouldn't exist. We'd probably just find a different reason to do it. But the military pretty much just laughed at this. And this, of course, the Supreme Court supported the the military's right to do this per um, the 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 executive order, which they found lawful in a time of war, and the 1929 Geneva Conventions, all forming into the ex parte decision. Uh, they were all found guilty in all counts. All of their defenses were thrown out, and all of them they were sentenced to die in the electric chair. Now, on the morning of August 8th, an army chaplain walked into the D.C. jail and informed they were all they were going to die. That's how they found oh, out. Cool. That's nice. And that is also when Dosh and Berger found out that they were not going to die. Uh, like literally Dosh is just like accepting it. He's like, I'm going to fucking die. Like this is right. this, like, this is what I accepted. But Berger was like, well, have I been spared? 
And the chaplain looked at those two like, oh, you two are good. You two are fine. (laughs) 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 Like... Imagine fight like Jesus Christ. I mean, again, no sympathy for literal Nazi saboteurs, but Jesus Christ, that's a whole hell of a way to find <laughs> yeah, out. I love that. Uh, FDR had spared them. Uh, Dash was given thirty years, and uh, Berger, I believe, got life without. Though that was that would eventually both be changed as well. The executions were put on like an assembly line with an electric chair that nobody had ever used in a long time and nobody had bothered to test beforehand. So there's a little bit of questions if it was actually going to work. It did. Um, The process began at noon. Each execution took no longer than 14 minutes. That counted the time of setting them up and reading off their death warrant, establishing a time of death, removing the corpse, and then ventilating the room of burnt corpse stink before the next guy got loaded in. Efficiency. By 1.30 p.m., all six were dead. Their bodies were buried out back behind the home for the aged and infirm and next to the industrial homeschool for colored children. Jesus. The schools are not told about this. (laughs) (laughs) No, I bet not. Hey, uh, you guys might have to bury some Nazis out back. Uh, No, we're not talking about that. Don't worry. Per per POW regulations, their graves are marked with a, a wooden plank with a number on it rather than a name. Fair enough. Oh, they're Nazis. Also, it turned out that uh, some of their families were in on it. Oh. Yeah. Uh, they, it was found out that uh, the Hopped family uh, living in the U.S. was corresponding with their son during this time. Oh, Jesus. Um, Hopped's mother, Irma, or Erna, was sentenced to 25 years in prison. Hans was sentenced to death. Four, uh, and there's four others in the family uh, that were conv- uh, convicted during the same trial. Hopped's uncle... Uh, Wil- uh, Walter Wilhelm Froling, his aunt Lucille Froling, his friend Otto Richard Vergen, and his mother's friend Kate Martha Vergen. Uh, Walter and Otto both received death sentences, while everybody else got about 25 years. All of the death sentences were eventually overturned on the Court of Appeals. Uh, the, the judge involved was kind of known for being an asshole, even to like not people uh, being accused of espionage. And uh, the Court of Appeals is like, ooh, this seems a bit steep, even for Nazis. Nah. Nah. In 1948, Truman granted clemency to everybody involved. Uh, who, well, at least those who are still alive and still in prison. Um, with the added piece of immediate deportation to the American zone of occupation of Germany. Now, this clemency was dependent on never returning to America. The second they stepped foot back in, uh, onto American soil, their uh, penalties, death or otherwise, would be immediately reinstituted. <laughs> that, that seems like a fair deal. Um, anybody who had their American citizenship uh, stripped uh, did not get it back. Anybody who had not had their citizenship stripped had it stripped, and uh, and Western German citizenship given to them. They were never given pardons that they were promised. And weirdly, by the end of his life, Dash eventually uh, like wrote a book, which is largely bullshit. It's it's mostly just circled upon making him look like an innocent victim. Um, now uh, he, in his later life, Dosh became friends with Charlie Chaplin, uh, because they, they bonded over how J. Edgar Hoover ruined their lives. Oh. <laughs> Why not, man? You know, that's kind of funny. Uh, but that is, uh, Operation Pistorius. Just outstanding. How are you it's feeling about outstanding. this? Nazis are fucking dumb is how I'm feeling about it. Uh, yeah, like, uh, could these guys have just been turned into intelligence assets? Yeah. Did they need to be executed? Probably not. Yeah. Am I going to shed oh. a tear? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> uh, all right. So 
Liam, we do a thing on the show called Questions from the Legion. Uh, without incident, by the way. Without any incidents that have been edited out. Um, if you'd like to ask us a question, the Legion donate to the show and uh, ask me a question on Patreon, DMs, Discord, which you also unlock if you donate to the show. Here's the plug, um, and we'll answer it. And it's you know not serious questions, but you know they're fun. This one, uh, you have time traveled back to World War One. You're in charge of an American tank. Uh, you're in charge of the American tank program. You can only use weapons from BattleBots. What does your tank look like? <laughs> Oh, hang on one second. <laughs> did, did you ever watch BattleBots? Yeah, I think so. It's incredible. Uh, it's when that show just simply wouldn't. I mean, I know that it still exists in some form, but like, there's something about peak BattleBots um, that can simply never be outdone because they're like a lot of them were made like illegal because they were like too dangerous for BattleBots. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of them, I think, it was, oh fuck, it was the guy that was in the, um, the MythBusters guy. The MythBusters yeah. guy made one that had like a giant buzzsaw that flung parts into the audience. Dead blow, yeah, yeah, that shit rules. They used a pneumatic hammer, yeah. Uh, I, all right, I'm gonna go anti tank vehicle here, but not the way you're thinking. We're talking about, oh, we're talking about Blendo. Was it Blendo? Yeah, okay. Blendo, because it threw it. Uh, the shell had a ro- uh, the robot had a shell made from a walk. It was spun by a lawnmower engine. Blades attached to the shell cause damage to its opponents, removing bodywork, and in some instances cause them to be thrown over the safety shields into the audience. Hell yeah, dudes rock. They made a Game Boy Advanced BattleBots game in 2002. Um, so I'm going to go anti-tank warfare here, but not in the way you're thinking. So you remember the BattleBots, because there's met for people who are, are a little bit younger, you don't want to look up the YouTube clips or whatever. There's a lot of different, you could win from just like incapacitating the enemy BattleBots. And that could include simply tipping them over. Uh, so there's a lot of like ramps and stuff. Uh, so I'm going a Mark V tank from World War I, because it's World War I we're talking about. But it has one of those gigantic cartoonish pneumatic flipping devices. So like <laughs> it pulls up to the German tank and just fucking catapults them like an Acme device into the sun or people or horses. <laughs> okay, so I'm stealing... The Renault FT, and so the FT-17. And what I'm doing is replacing the turret with uh, buzzsaw guns. Buzzsaw guns. Wait, like, they shoot buzzsaws. Yeah, they'll shoot buzz... They'll, they shoot uh, spinning blades. I think you've transcended BattleBots into supervillain territory, which I'm fine oh, with. I, I, support, I always support good supervillainy. Was there ever a, fl- a flamethrower? In battle, but I don't think it'd be very useful because you're fighting I don't think a robot. You're allowed to, oh, yeah, lame. Uh, my other option is like I got the big flipper, right, and uh, like my secondary weapon is a giant pneumatic pick. This I like- also I also like the idea of using the Ford three ton with like a giant pneumatic acme hammer. <laughs> well, yeah, because that way, if you're flipped over, you can use the, like any like watch battle bots. They use the yeah, pneumatic the hammer. Box flip it's, just a, it's just a pillbox now. <laughs> <laughs> hammer pillbox. Liam, thank you for joining me on this episode of Operation Pastorius. Uh, this is the last podcast I am recording yes, here in my office. Congratulate Joe. He is moving to Armenia. Yeah, by uh, the time by this time comes out, this, be he, there, will have, he will have be, he will be there. So congratulations, Joe. This is uh, the last this is the first podcast or the sorry, the last podcast in four years that I, I will not well not the first. I've been moving around a bit, but I've always had this table. And it's the last one that will be recorded 
on this repurposed, formerly used as a beer pong table. On to bigger and better things, Joe. I'd bring the table with me if I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> Liam, this is the area where you plug your other shows. Plug away. Pl- 10,000 losses. Well, there's your problem. Listen to the shows. Uh, consider uh, donating to the show. Uh, donate. Uh, get bonus stuff. Discord. Or buy my books. They're all, they're all available. Books. Um, and until next time, don't end up in an intelligence plot so you can illegally immigrate back to a country that don't you enjoy. Don't have enjoyed. two wives at once is my advice. Don't be a Nazi. Also that.